Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Metro Fan TV weekly rundown. It has, unfortunately, been a while since you've last heard from us. And, of course, shocker, format change this week <laughs> and the next week and the week after that in preparation for uh, us going global, in a way. Lenza Fernando here on a beautiful uh, fall evening in Harrison, New Jersey, talking about everything that's inspired in the last week or so in the world of Red Bull soccer. And, uh, you know, Fernando, last six games of the season, it's crunch time, isn't it? Like right yeah. about now, I feel. Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy because it's been such a long season. It, it doesn't feel like it usually does. Like it just, I don't know, I can't explain it, but like usually toward the end of the season, you kind of start getting that, that feeling in your stomach, but I guess just because, I mean, it's been, what, 37, 36 games already at this point. It just, I don't know, I, I just feel like I'm just in this perpetual season that's never going to end. So I don't, I don't feel the end of the regular season coming. Um, I don't know. Maybe in the next day, or maybe in the next game or game or so, I'll start to kind of get those knots in my stomach. But um, it's crunch time, man. It's crunch time, and and I, I, I guess because usually I feel like it's the end of the season. I can start getting a gauge of how I feel about us getting into the end of the season and into the playoffs. I don't know how I feel right now. Yeah, I guess uh, what kind of compounds a lot of things right now is that uh, between the uh, 3-0 loss to Montreal uh, the week before the uh, international break and uh, this last draw against D.C., you know, I think there's uh, some maybe worrying trends that we could kind of start looking at a bit here. But uh, I guess on the topic of D.C. United, you know, uh, this was uh, the second trip down to Audi Field with the uh, Atlantic Cup uh, firmly in our possession, having clinched at Red Bull Arena off of Kaku's goal. Uh, the DC away trip this time round, I mean, like this was an absolute, I think hands down, like probably the best match between the two teams like this season in terms of entertainment, in terms of drama, and in terms of the general quality of play, right, I think. And uh, yeah. unfortunately for us, you know, well, it would have been nice to get a win at Audi Field, you know, like we also kind of do have to give credit to DC for a much improved side going in. And I think it really showed, the proof definitely wasn't a pudding when we went down there to Audi Field. It was very testy, back and forth affair, and both chances had, no sorry, both sides had numerous chances, I think, to break the deadlock and take the lead in the opening first few minutes of the game. Yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, there's been some close games with them over the last couple of years. Um, especially, I think, especially in 2016, because of the blown leads. But, like, those weren't even good games. It was just us dominating for, you know, 85 minutes and then us shooting the bed in the last couple of minutes. This game was probably the most competitive game in a full 90 minutes probably since, I mean, if I had to guess, like, 2014-ish? Like, I mean, since... Right. Since the Ralphal era, I can't think of another game where, again, for the full 90, it was just fucking good. Like, you just back and forth, both teams having, you know, moments of, of, of good, moments of bad. Um, some team, you know, one team looking pretty dominant, the other team looking dominant later on. It was a good entertaining game. I mean, this was a good, legit rivalry match. If, if this is how this team is going to be going forward, which I don't think they will be, this might just be a blip discussion for later on, I guess. Um... It was refreshing. It was it was a really good competitive game. Right. 
Uh, that's certainly what I thought as well. Uh, standing in a uh, the uh, supported the away the away supported Audi field, I think you could definitely see that uh, DC were very much been reinvigorated by this uh, newly found uh, midfield pairing that they've had. I think uh, there was uh, some statistics that were out that like DC are still scoring at a regular at, at the same clip that they've been scoring all season. Yeah, but we've seen markedly improved defensive efforts from that back line. I think. Uh, I think uh, chief amongst these has been the uh, re re um, integration of Russell Canusi and Junior Moreno in the center of the field. That it's a much more solid, I think, uh, midfield pairing that they started the season with. But a little nice mix of uh, steel and a little nice mix of uh, composure on the ball that they can kind of get on the ball a bit more and just basically not lose it while shielding their defenders, I think. But I think when in terms of game flow, I think uh, from what I did see that we did open the game on the front foot, like uh, in my opinion, like we definitely had the better... Uh, Possess we definitely had the better um, use of possession in this game. I think to open, definitely pinning DC back in their own half. The ball movement I thought in the attacking third looked very very sharp. Yeah. And as what we were talking about, of course, Armas trying to introduce more uh, possession set plays and trying to get the team more comfortable with playing the ball in the attacking third. I think, you know, for the opening 25 minutes at least, like they've definitely made a lot of really good strides. In that, particularly, you can kind of start to see Chris Armis's attacking philosophy kind of take shape. Yep. The only problem, of course, being that the final ball was a bit lacking, I think, but in part due to the fact that, you know, Kaku drops a bit deeper to facilitate that build-up play and the movement between the lines. That a lot of the uh, final balls, in this sense, are usually coming from one of the wide players, uh, which means that I think if, the t if defenders kind of pull back a little bit, and they can kind of shade uh, our guys a bit towards the flanks and pack the bodies with a lot of boxes, you know, like it's a bit easier to defend in that sense, you know. So uh, I think that's going to be the question going forward with regards to Chris Armis's a bit more uh, possession-based philosophy in the attacking third is that there has to be a question of who, um, that of other players not named Kaku taking up a bit more of that playmaking mantle in the attacking third. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, you know, we, we've talked about the changes quite a bit uh, over the last couple of weeks. And there's, I feel like there, in the last three or four games, there's been, it, there's been even more changes. Like, it, there's something, something looks even more different than it did even in the first, like, five games or so when Armas took over. I, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to really completely pinpoint it. Um, we, we've talked a little bit about, about some of those things, but the one thing that concerns me is the fact that Gaku has been on kind of a little bit of a slump in terms of like assists. Um, he's definitely been in a part of the attack. I mean, that, that, that I think it was with the first or second goal. Um, it started from a nice ball from Gaku to Long, who he then heads it. Oh, that was the first goal. That was, uh, that was uh, yeah, headed off by Tim Parker. Was Parker, hits yeah, yeah. Bill Hamid and That's right. Brad bikes it in, basically. Yeah, yeah. so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, you know, he's definitely still part of the buildup, and, and I just, there's just something missing. There's just some kind of, we actually looked at the stats uh, not that long ago, and 
there's definitely a separation uh, uh, between uh, Royer, Bradley, and Kaku. You know, he's kind of sat where he has in terms of like just overall position, whereas Brad and Royer still are pushing pretty closer to goal almost more and more by the game. So there's a weird disconnect, and something needs to bridge that. You know, there needs to be some kind of bridge centrally because you can't only rely on, on something from, from the outside because, you know, like I mentioned, teams are, are becoming a little, uh, little wise to that, you know. So I think that's where a lot, of the, uh, a lot of these chances are coming from. But if you're not getting those really good looks, you're, you're not going to get those in. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm concerned about it. What I like is, look, we still, we still score three goals, right? We still managed to get, you know, to, to, to you know, come back multiple times and, and at least go out there with a point. They also all came from Bradley, who, you know, this is also his first hat-trick since 2016. So that's, yeah. we can't rely on him getting another hat-trick in a game like this where we bleed three goals and we need three goals. This is a playoff game. Yeah, great, we walk out with three away goals. But again, the chances of Brad getting getting a hat trick is extremely small. So yeah, we, we, we need they, they need to find ways to to get I don't even think it's sharper. I think they need to just I guess clean up their attack in those final moments and also find ways to kind of bridge uh, bridge Brad and Royer to to our, our most lethal playmaker because you know there's definitely been a gap in the last like six games. Well, I think that's when we talk about teams starting to wisen up to how this team has performed under Chris Armis that you kind of start to see uh, the opposition adjusting to that as well. I think yeah, you can definitely see that the game plan picked up on the fact that Bradley Wright Phillips would generally be dropping back a bit deeper to help become more of a playmaker, trying to get his uh, yeah. other guys in play. That basically you can see that the service lines here, like to him were basically closed off you know like you could first of all like the passing angles from Kaku were closed down which basically meant that he usually had to uh, look for an option out wide which is either usually Kamar or Murillo pushing up from deep because those because uh, the fullbacks act as our width in this formation sorry in this philosophy but then also it's the fact that um, if Brad's not going to be able to uh, attract defenders away from the box as much as he has, then that doesn't really open up the space for Danny Royer to come in exactly, and yeah. lurk. And that's kind of also why we've seen Danny Royer's production kind of start chopping off a, a bit again. Because yep. he doesn't quite have the uh, space to operate in that he was... Uh, you know, that he was operating with when he was on that mini-hot streak. You know, I think uh, if you look at some of his statistics, of course, this season, like, uh, I mean, you, you look at the goal count, and uh, you think that, you know, he's having a pretty nice season. Like, a, what, I think he's up to 10, ten goals, goals in the yeah, season. 10 goals, yeah, 10 goals. But there's something about those 10 goals that feels kind of empty, right? Yeah, you yeah. you kind of know that if he's not putting the ball in the back of the net, he's not really going to be contributing in any other facet. And, you know, it was kind of showed in his advanced statistics as well, is that his XG count is really high. His goal count's really high. But if you look at his expected assist numbers and his expected build-up numbers, it's basically showing that all of his value is tied up in finding positions to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. And when and it does happen. Yeah, and if he can't do that, then he's basically not going to be able to contribute to the first team in any other way. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a problem. And, you know, one thing is, is what's, held us into, what's held us in a lot of these games lately is our, is, our, is our defense. Our defenders have been so good at locking the games down where we were able to squeeze by one nothing. You know, we, we, could ha we had these string of games where, you know, 
we looked we looked dangerous and, and, and we were you know they were creating chances but again we they weren't able to to, to find a way to, to get those in but it's okay because we just got the one goal we got the one goal we got the one goal and you're winning one nothing one nothing one nothing I, in the back of the back of your head you can't at least for me I couldn't help but wonder okay what happens if what happens if they start bleeding goals and we're still not able to get goal uh, to, to, to you know to get the ball in the back of the net we saw that in Montreal you know, and that 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 game was very concerning. There's, I think, other things surrounding that. You know, in terms of the schedule congestion and, and the heat and stuff like that. With DC, we almost saw it again. Where, uh, yeah, we almost saw it again. Where they gave up three goals because of stupid mental lapses. Yeah. What ha- I mean, what happens again if if Brad doesn't get a, a a super rare hat trick, something he hasn't done since May of 2016? I mean. That's that's a little worrying. So whatever whatever is going on with with the attack, whatever is happening, and there's a lot there. I mean, we could probably go an hour dissecting some of the small little things that we've noticed um, uh, to kind of show where there are concerns in the attack. But at least if our defenders have their shit together, then you know we're able to squeeze by and get that one goal, and we're able to kind of squeeze by with you know with with a clean sheet, one nothing, or or you know maybe two to one. Something has to give on both sides. We can't only rely on our defenders. So something yeah. on the whatever's happening on the attack needs to get cleaned up because there is no guarantee. I, I do think these defensive lapses are just a blip. That the team has been super good for thirty-five plus games a season. They turned it off a couple of times, fine. But they've proven that they're the best defensive, you know, defensive four in the league. So I have confidence that they can tighten that up. But if they can't, or there's just another random game, four, you know, three or four games into the playoffs. If our if our attack still hasn't started coming together, then we're gonna have a, a, a you know a short playoff run. Yeah, I think that's definitely been uh, one of the uh, trends in the second half of the season under uh, Chris Armis. Is that you know I think uh, some of the uh, st- standouts that started the season on the defense uh, playing really well. I guess uh, Tim Parker, I think chief among them. Kind of looking a bit shaky in recent weeks, and on top of that, um, of course, I think one other thing that we have to talk about was uh, the susceptibility to set pieces that we seem to have been um, yeah. uh, kind of victim to. We didn't concede off a set piece this game. I think it's worth mentioning, but like DC did hit the post off of one. That could have easily made the game 4-3. Yeah. And then on top of that, like we were also talking about how with silly mental lapses, you know, the first DC goal came off another very silly uh, giveaway from the back line. I'm not sure if it was uh, Parker or Long who ended up passing it to the DC player that resulted in the turnover that led to Ariola's yeah. goal. But, you know, these were the kind of silly things that they weren't doing to start the year. You know, like, uh, we used to be a very team very confident on the ball under Jesse Marsh, you know. Like, Jesse would have the center backs, like, trying to uh, get on the ball a bit more and playing it up. But for some odd reason, uh, under under Chris Armis, for whatever reason, like a, just getting a bit more careless, getting a bit more carefree, and players that you didn't really expect to be making these kind of errors, basically, are USMNT national call-ups, Tyler yeah. Adams and Tim Parker, making some very silly mistakes with uh, how they handle the ball. So one of my theories is, is that you know Spicy Dave has kind of ruined all our defenders. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's uh, 
I, I, I hate to say it, but we you know we joke about this sometimes. But you know, look, there is something to that when 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 you spend two weeks, you know, with a whole different team and they're they're telling you to play a whole different way, you know, it's it happens. You know, it's, it's not just our guys. It, it happened. You know, look, Amir when they Amir and Fidel when they came back from uh, from Panama, you know, Amir sat a couple of games because. Chris basically felt that he had to kind of unlearn some of the, you know, habits and whatnot that he kind of picked up uh, uh, with the Pan- with the the Panamanian team. So it 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 happens, you know. And we play such a unique style compared to basically anywhere else, especially the U.S. men's national team, where there is no actual like real like tactics. You know, it's kind of just hey, do these things. So I guess in a weird way that should make it easier to to forget, but I don't know. There, I, I think there is something there when again you you kind of get separated for two weeks and and play with a whole different team. Um, the interesting thing about the way the center backs are being used and kind of some of their mistakes lately too, though, is um, American Analysis did a really 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 good write up. Oh yeah, that that was I a really good I mean article. if you everyone just should read that. I mean, even if it's a little more ad- advanced and a little over some people's heads in terms of some of the stats they use, it's still a really, really good uh, basis of understanding of like what the changes are. And, and honestly, it actually confirms a lot of the things we've talked about uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, but one thing that I really didn't catch uh, when I looked at some of the data, mostly because I really wasn't focusing on the data sets of, of like the, the defenders or the center backs at least, is... They're doing a lot more long balls further into the field. Uh, with Long and Parker, there was more buildup. There was more flat-out possession. There was more interchange between them to kind of slowly build things up. Now, they're, it's weird. So he's, he's created this, this tweak where they're less risky because they're, they're launching the balls basically more further into, the, uh, you know, further into their attack. Which basically means that because you're that much farther away from from uh, from your goal, you're obviously less susceptible to getting scored on. Which I think plays a big part in why we had a good defensive run there, where we really weren't giving up that many goals, with the exception of a couple of games. On the flip side, that also changes completely where the press starts and how the press starts. That changes fundamentally the roles of the center backs and and even to an, uh, to a certain extent. The roles of 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 Sean and uh, and and um, and Tyler, because again, if you're starting everything, if you're starting, you know, uh, 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 essentially your entire tactical philosophy further up the field, you're compressing yourselves more. Um, you're playing a little tighter. You, and again, yeah, you're you're less risky to 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 a kind of t- uh, to to a counter, and you are closer to goal from the from the offset, which explains why we've seen that uptick. In a lot of their attacking numbers, but you, again, you're fundamentally changing how things are are being done, and a lot of these guys have kind of been doing the same thing now under Jesse for a while. So maybe it's just kind of Long and Parker just kind of getting a, adjusted to their new type of role as center backs, and and you know, again, maybe maybe it's just also the you know our defensive midfielders kind of getting adjusted to that because there's so much interchange between. Our defensive mids, where you know Adams moves up and and Rizzo uh, drops back, but he also moves up on the right to the center. I mean, there's a lot of interchange between our guys, and I can see how that can sometimes cause confusion when you throw what is 
kind of a big change, but not really big change because you're fundamentally still doing the same thing in terms of a high press. So, yeah, I, I, I yeah, there, there's, there's definitely some more, more changes that's happened with long, uh, with Parker and Long, and, and maybe those are where the keys are to also some of these defensive lapses on, on the run of play. So I don't know. Right. Um, I guess uh, when we talk about the first half as well, uh, we do have to talk about um, that BWP equalizer off of Bill Hamid, I think, to a degree, because I think I noticed one of the uh, funny things is in my years of watching Bill Hamid play, <laughs> uh, have you ever had a sense that, like, you know, like when you watch Ronald Zubar, right, you'd see a really good defender for about 85 minutes yeah. of the game, and then for five minutes of the game, he just has, like, a catastrophic, like, brain fart. Yeah, and wow. And you can see the goal. Wow. Bill Hamid's kind of like the uh, Zubar goalkeeper is Hamid, yeah, holy shit. that, isn't he? Like, uh, he's going to bill you out with, make, with incredible athletic saves, but... I mean, the error he made in that first goal, I mean, I think that's just kind of proof in the pudding as to why Michelin just kind of gave up on him. Didn't bring him in for anything. Kind of apparently shot the bed in Denmark for the first two or three games that he was there. And I mean, every the number of games since he's been back, you know, just some absolutely terrible errors that you wouldn't expect a 27-year-old goalkeeper yeah, to I mean, kind of ironed out by now. Yeah, like, at that age, especially considering how long he was a, he's, he was a starter... Yeah, like you said, these are mistakes that shouldn't happen. You don't, I don't like you. Wouldn't see Ryan make those kind of mistakes. Yeah, I, I these are like he makes the kind of mistakes that I see like Laurel make in Rebel too. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right, like, yeah, and, but, but like, I'm, I, I can give him a pass because he's still pretty young, and you know he he hasn't been tested at a at a higher level. You're fucking Bill Hamid, dude. Like you should not be making bonehead errors consistently, and he, so. When and when I say consistently, it's like you said. Yeah, he might have 80, 85 minutes of really good play, but he consistently has a five, ten minute block of just shitting the bed, and and that's you you can't you can't go overseas in a totally different competitive mindset and have that. It's not like here where you can you can make bonehead you know decisions and bonehead moves and maybe drop a couple of points, but it's okay because you know fuck it, I'll make the playoffs still. That doesn't happen in Europe. You know, you go to Europe and, and you're, you know, I think there is an argument to be said that there's potentially, you know, more um, more pressure over there because, you know, if if you're, I don't know, 15th or 16th and, and, and you make a stupid, stupid a couple of mistakes like that and you drop a couple of points, next thing you know you're 18th and you're about to get relegated. You know, like those kind of things have serious implications and they don't have time for that shit. Yeah, especially... I think there was also another really interesting article about how, like, since they brought him in, him in on it free, they didn't really have any incentive to, like, recoup any money on him. Yeah. So since they had actually brought in two other goalkeepers in that same transfer window, I think, and one of them was brought in for 1.5 million euros, of course they're going to pay the guy that they spent money on because they had to eventually yep. try and recoup some kind of investment on him. But, you know, I'm, like, I think uh, since uh, this will be factoring into a bunch of questions that uh, we'll be getting later, that when we talk about DC's defensive improvements as a team, as a potential playoff opponent, that's why I think I'm going to stress that a lot of the defensive improvements happened in spite of the goalkeeper, as opposed to because of the goalkeeper. Yeah, definitely. You know, like I think it uh, seemed to me that the way that DC play and the way that they came out in the second half is that like you could see that they are just a much more organized unit 
and they're not going to be giving it up as many uh, clean looks as they may have given up in the beginning of the season. You know, I think like they clamp down in open space a bit better. Everybody kind of is a bit more familiar with where they want to play. And I think that's kind of why we started like the second half looking considerably like a bit off the pace as a result of that. Because uh, I think DC kind of picked up on the way that we were trying to pass the ball through them. And uh, on top of that, like their attack was also starting to exploit a lot of the uh, space that was being le left behind by our guys as they moved up. I mean, I thought that they had a number of uh, potential breaks in the counter that looked really, really good with Rooney kind of operating as this deep lying forward yeah. and activating Lucho Acosta, which has kind of been your bread and butter mm -hmm. this entire second half of the season. So, you know, I think the reason why I say that we kind of got away with one from this result is because, you know, DC could easily, like I think as Taylor Twelman said in the broadcast, and this is the only time that I'm going to say nice things about Taylor Twelman. Just joking, but like, <laughs> so he could have easily scored four or five, you know, if uh, they took some of their chances better. And, you know, I think it's a bit concerning, I think, in that, in that standpoint, you know, I think we talk about Chris Armis being able to make adjustments, but now we're kind of starting to see the meta game develop a little bit, right? Yeah. His teams adjust to Chris Armis, adjusting to them, can Chris Armis adjust back in <laughs> yeah. the first, you know, so I think uh, this is going to be starting to be a bit more of a test of uh, his mantle. Especially since, uh, you know, I mean, I don't anticipate that Ben Olsen is the most uh, formidable managerial opponent. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't help but wonder if a lot of these, of a lot of the, the, the structural improvements, and I say structural improvements because I feel like that's really what the big difference is with DC, is they're just structured differently. You know, they're not playing, they're like, they're not playing any more... Uh, they're not playing like prettier or anything like that. They're just playing smarter and better. There's little things that they do now that they wouldn't do before, and and I feel like a lot of that comes from someone like you know like like uh, Rooney can go in and and who's who's been around so many great players to kind of give you know kind of in training advice to to clean up some small stupid uh, errors. You know, you look at you look at the record before before Rooney and after Rooney. So before Rooney was two uh, two wins, five draws, seven losses, only .78 points per game, but they scored 23 goals and he conceded 28. Um, since then, seven wins, three draws, four losses, 1.71 points per game, which by the way would put them in third place above NYCFC, which is fucking crazy. Um, but they've only scored two more goals. They've only scored 25 goals in that time frame, but they've only given up 19. That's that's a solid run. I mean, that's a solid difference right there. Yeah. And you would think that with ruining, you know, since they do look more vicious on the attack, they do look more threatening on the attack. The fact that statistically they really aren't that much more, like they aren't that much better. A lot of that just becomes from playing cleaner. You know, it's just not doing stupid things to get yourself caught off guard, to 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 get countered and 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 to give up goals. And for me, a lot of that comes down to leadership it's not like they have a bad team player wise i mean i think we actually mentioned that before a couple of uh like yeah the, before the first before DC the, game yeah like we mentioned that guys, like you know yeah just, you know it was that we were talking about i mean uh, i mean there was just kind of down to the fact that their goalkeepers were having terrible seasons mm -hmm. between david usted and steve clark and it's not That's like another been factor, yeah. that much better but he's been better than league worst yeah which is in itself an improvement and then on top of that, I think, uh, you know, I mean, Birnbaum's kind of picked up his game recently. Mm -hmm. 
as a result of uh, you know and I think we talked about how the um, it was the new midfield pairing mm -hmm. that kind of started showing everything up as well because before then it was a bit of this rotating door and on top of that it's Audi field opening up and have them having to finally get to play home yeah game. an actual yeah an actual you real, know, like real hole. I mean it's still a shithole yeah but it's it's still not J still not RFK. And when you're not having to travel and play in a new location almost every other week, you know, I mean, that does wonders for yourself yeah. psychologically as well. So you're a bit more willing to buy in. You're generally a bit more energetic. You're going to come out with a bit more verve, I would say. You know. I will say though, I th this also means that Rooney hasn't dealt with MLS um, uh, traveling. He really hasn't had to travel like you normally do because yeah. he's he's come at this it's long very home, home heavy schedule. Stretch. Yeah, that's true. So it's going to be interesting when he has you know if if he has to travel to um, just think of who's in the playoffs. I guess none of the Canadian. Holy shit! None of the Canadian teams would be in there. Montreal would be the only one, and well, I think that's kind of a toss up right but now. But that's the thing. I honestly, yeah. I, th I think they take Montreal's spot. Like if if DC makes it, they're probably going to take over Montreal. Right, Philly and Columbus are kind of on islands of their own. At yeah. This point. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, one of one, one or both would have to collapse for DC to really be anywhere above above six, which really just leaves Montreal. So I mean, I guess the furthest north they would have to go would be us or City. Yeah. They, I mean, you, they'd have to go a little further out, maybe because of Columbus. Um, kind of south to, to no because wow. uh, Georgia's kind of equidistant yeah from, I think wow, yeah so they actually damn they might get lucky here Rooney may not have to deal with any kind of real strenuous travel in his first half of his fucking league and that yeah. might really really help them out a lot I didn't think about this you could kind of see and, and I think there you could kind of also see this from I think to a degree Didier Drogba coming in and playing for Montreal for that uh half season where he lit up the league as yeah. well so uh, you know we it's have true. kind of seen something like this before where a guy comes in motivated ha halfway through a season and just kind of tears it up but you know how it's his uh, mark equality would be that kind of first full MLS season and that'd be kind of interesting to see how Rooney deals with like the full MLS works you know because we did also see that Drogba kind of dropped off yeah. once he had a full year in Montreal yeah. playing on so. turf and, and having to fly out you know dealing with just shitty airports and Delayed flights and all that. I mean, again, we've I've I've talked so much about that because yeah. I really feel strongly yeah. about how much the travel affects the quality of play in this league and and players individually. So yeah, it, it's they might luck out and and with, with the schedule where you know Rooney might not have to deal with all that shit and and not deal with the effects of that and and kind of really go on a strong run. But I think. You know, you do have to give Wayne Rooney cre credit. I think, uh, you oh, know, our defense yeah. had a lot of lapses this game. And, uh, you know, he took advantage of that, like, masterfully. Like, he could have easily had a hat trick of his own. Mm -hmm. If he, uh, you know, like, took some of those chances a bit better. Uh, he had that one chance that he really should have scored on, and he put off the crossbar. And uh, Robles had to make a really good save on a one-on-one, -on -one, which yeah. I've always kind of thought was kind of his weak point as a goalkeeper, is him in one-on-one -on -one situations. But, you know... He faced up Rooney, shut him down perfectly. Look, no, 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 no matter what, no matter how much shit we talk of some of these, you know, older players that come in here, they're still great players and they're still legends. You know, I mean, it, you turn, you can't turn off against a guy like Rooney. You can't turn off against a guy like, you know, like Zlatan. And we didn't, which is why he didn't score on us. You know. Yeah. So 
yeah, I mean Rooney, you got to give credit to Rooney. He it could have been it could have been a loss. It really could have. It was Unless Taylor. your name's Andrea Pirlo. <laughs> that fucking loser. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean I'm with you on that one. Could have easily been a loss, you know, uh I think a lot of people were talking about what exactly the defense was thinking on that third goal that they conceded because from my vantage point it just seemed to me that like Amir just kind of gave up and Long didn't kind of challenge him but you know, there was some discussion about whether or not people like who could actually I think um, shoulder most of the blame for that goal I think Tolstoy did point out on Twitter that Aaron Long was trying to you know shut down the passing lane and it just so happened that he guessed pass and on this occasion he guessed wrong yeah no, that that's true you know yeah I mean if you if you when you're looking at it in real time, when you when you saw it real time, it just looked like a like what the fuck? Like people were just ball watching. We watched it a couple of times and and it's that's not really what happened. I mean, it's it's kind of a systematic failure over a couple of bad decisions, basically. Even with Amir, if you watch it, he doesn't even he he doesn't even like not he it's not like he gave up. I think he just committed forward too much and kinda of got got caught uh kind of got caught you know off his feet a little bit yeah and he just couldn't catch up meanwhile the you know next up is long where like you said he he wrong guess passed and then parker's kind of just there i kind of just trying to i guess maybe he's also in his mind trying to block another passing lane maybe he thought there was someone behind him or something when it comes to defensive rotation it would have been risky for aaron to kind of bend in that space because then that gives rooney a free run in the near post Yep. And Parker's not really in a position where he can really uh, um, make up for it. And even if Parker rotates over to let Long like a uh, challenge for the ball at that point, like it doesn't quite. It's still a very risky move because you know, like, does draw Long away from the ball and give Rooney space to uh, operate in. And you know, it may not necessarily mean that Parker will get there in time to begin with, because he's still going to have to rotate like from a position that's much behind yeah. Wayne Rooney. And a striker that knows how to operate in space as well as Wayne Rooney does. Like, you give him a half yard of space, and the ball probably goes in the back of the net anyway. Yeah, I mean, look. Barring a terrible finish. He, you know, you, you see what happens when you give a player like that any kind of room for error. If you give him three spots of, of, of error, he, you know, things are going to happen. He, even, if he's, even if he's not the one to score, just his presence there and the threat that he... That 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 he he uh, the threat that he presents is going to keep people on their toes. That's one of the, that's the off the ball stuff that that you know and that you talk about a lot of times where just a run or just your your again your presence being there can throw defenders off. And you know you can easily blame all of them. No one did anything explicitly horrible. They were just a string of bad decisions. Yeah. You know, when you look at it again, I, I'm not as angry at at those three watching the replay a couple times because when I again when I first saw it it looked like they just fell asleep like they just fucking stopped trying and I was livid that to me is forever unacceptable I don't care if we get blown out as long as these guys give it their all you know for you to just it looked like they just turn off but again when you when you watch it there's just kind of an unfortunate string of systematic poor decisions that kind of led to led to that third goal yeah but of course, uh, you know, from that situation, you know, we did 
redeem a point through what I thought was one of the plays of the season from Alex Spiel. And uh, I'm going to give Alex a shout out here because he's looked fantastic in the super sub role off the bench. You know, uh, uh, you know, he is criticized for a general lack of a, you know, like people say, oh, his touch is a bit heavy. Or, uh, you know, he kind of makes the, r he's kind of too slow making decisions in the uh, box. On that third goal, man, like that touch to bring down the ball. If and then go around the defender to send the ball into the yeah. post first time, dude. If that, if 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 he did that every game, if he did ninety percent of that every game, if his touch was consistently that good, if his quick decision making was that good, if his pass was that good on the attack, that close in the final third, I mean, he for me, he's a default starter. I mean, there's, for me, he's a default starter in certain situations. If he could do this more consistently, he's, period, flat out, a consistent starter. Yeah. Those are the things, like you said, that people criticize. And he showed that he's capable of doing it. And that's always been the most tantalizing thing about Alex Wheel, which I think kind of makes him such a f frustrating figure to some. Is you know the talent is there. Yep. You know the technical attributes are there. You know that, you know... If he was just a bit more consistent with how he does things, you know, he could very well be one of the uh, key players on this team. Yeah. And, you know, like with how long he's been a component of that first team to begin with, uh, since he got called up as a 20-year-old from Ripple 2 in 2016, you know, it's very hard to forget that he's still only 23 years old. Yeah. He's younger than Florian Velo. He's younger than Vincent Bessacourt. You know, and I think as the, you know, I, I anticipate a lot of wing positions will be opening up in the coming years. If Royer kind of aging out the system and the right wing still kind of being a bit of a question mark. You know, I really do think that he's still going to be, he still has a very big chance of being a very key part of this team going forward. Yeah. And the way that he's played off the bench in recent weeks, you know, I think he's definitely, in my opinion, earned a pretty good look. Definitely, yeah, and and you know, twenty three years old is not technically young, but we have to look. We we are in the United States of America. I don't give who gives a shit what's considered young in fucking Germany, in in Spain, and and all these other fucking countries. It's irrelevant because this is where this is where our our team plays. This is the league that the team plays, and this is the country the team plays. We have to understand the context around that. So when you have these guys who go to college. And basically lose a couple of years of real professional development, you kind of have to factor factor that in. So yeah, he's 23, may not be that young, but he's still relatively young in his development pipeline. Yeah, you know, he's only been truly a a, a consistent, you know, professional player for really, I mean, maybe two seasons at this point. It was what it was really just like middle of 2016 that he really started to to gain that that bigger role, and then even last year it kind of dropped back a little bit, and this year kind of in been, been in between so he's still on a developmental curve yeah it's a late curve 100 percent just because of the the reality of of development in this country has a different path sometimes with some players with college but it's still a development path and he's still on that development curve so people have to sometimes take that into consideration and understand that that is our reality here and our reality again is some guys who are 22 23 years old are still on a development curve just because of how some paths are paths are in this country and that's completely okay so if this is just 
a uh, uh, really just him maturing even more, which I feel he has matured a lot this year. And this is really just that first, like, oh, kind of moment where you can see that he's really starting to round out. He's starting to, to be calmer in certain situations. He's being more, um, he's being more, I don't want to say methodical, but he's being smarter in his decision making, but faster. You know, you can't just react and do things. You're still thinking. You just have to be able to think quickly. So, to me, that I, we, I feel like, like you mentioned the last couple of games. I think you've seen moments of this of of him just looking good. Him looking like a real good rounded player. Yeah. His decision making has been better. His 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 decisiveness has been better. His movement has been better. His passing has been cleaner. His first touch has been better. We we might finally be seeing Neil for again forming into this player that we've all or some people unfortunately not all but some people have felt that he could be you know he could turn into with just a good run of minutes in the right situations and I think taking that pressure off of being this this starter that like needs to produce like you got to do this you got to do that because that you're a starter you're expected to do things maybe that's kind of eased the pressure off of him a little bit yeah. I would say so. I think uh, it was. It's, it's been a bit of a sea change for him. I think ever since the uh, Seattle game, which I think was definitely probably kind of as a personal low point at the season, where the game kind of ended in a lot of frustration for him, with all his teammates yelling at him for whatever reason, yeah. kind of dribbled through like the entire uh, team towards the end of the game. But you know, I think again, like we say, you know, I think uh, the way that he's made his, ca- he, he's been given minutes off the bench, and he sees his opportunity. He's looked good, and uh, you know I think uh, certainly, you know I, I I'm going to make this uh, bold proclamation right now that he's going to do something in this during this playoff run. I think that's going to kind of make people stand up and pay attention to him as yeah. he as he proves to be kind of a key cog potentially off the bench, or even maybe in certain tactical roles potentially as a starter. But I think it's still probably going to be Reza. And uh, it's still going to be Rizzo taking up that spot to start going forward, but and, and, you know. And for me, that's fine because again, if if what we are seeing in the last five or six games is him finally rounding into into the player that we feel he could be, and it's mostly because his role isn't—I mean, he started a couple of times, but he's had a lot of off the bench, uh, a lot of sub appearances, and if that's what he needs to help him continue this path. Fine, because Riz has been really, really good for us, and uh, and you know in the second half of the season. Yeah. So it's a good thing to have someone who can you who you can start with confidence, but at the same time, pull bring in someone like Wheel, who's so good on the press and so good defensively, but now starting to round in into the more uh, important attacking parts of the game. To have someone like that to come in off the bench, that like you said, that could end up being a difference maker. Yeah. And also, you know, key weapons off the bench. Now, I guess uh, we'll uh, move on to the Toronto home game, welcoming the best team in MLS history, Toronto FC, to Red Bull Arena. (laughs) The best team in MLS history find themselves ninth in the Eastern Conference, nine points adrift at the sixth spot. Uh, They do have a game in hand in Montreal, I think, uh, who currently do occupy that sixth spot, but... Oh man, it's been a hell of a season up there in Ontario, eh? <laughs> um, two wins, two draws, and a loss in the last five. 
uh, but it's a kind of a continuation of what's been a very stop-start season for Toronto FC. Uh, it's kind of incredible at how fast they've lost this aura of invincibility that they've had all the last season, haven't they? Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's just kind of proof, really, ladies and gentlemen, that life comes at you very fast. <laughs> right? Like. Yeah, I mean, you know... <laughs> I, I got ragged on a lot uh, last year for, for kind of not really downplaying their success, although I kind of did because I still think the Canadian ch- Championship, whatever the fuck that's called, is the most tin pot, <laughs> fucking like, just garbage bootleg ass trophy to count towards uh, a, a treble ever. But whatever, look, they were still incredible in the regular season. They were still obviously decent enough in the postseason to win the cup, but there were so many obvious holes to how that team was constructed. I feel like I definitely take a lot more time into trying trying to understand the fucking ridiculous and absurd roster and salary mechanisms of this of this stupid league to to have kind of spotted these things. And and I try to 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 mention these things last year and, and you know, I look stupid to a degree because they still won. But I think a lot of those points kind of fell into this year, and I think we we saw the culmination of some of the things I've I've personally talked about uh, last year. Where look, the way this league is structured, salary cap in just one finite number means nothing. It means nothing. Twenty two million dollars from one team and twenty two million dollars in a different team could potentially be fundamentally different things. Yeah. And if you look at how Again, if you look at how the league structure is, and you really drill down on how their roster was built last year, it was not sustainable at all. First of all, you had their 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 salary. I think was like twenty two million dollars, right? But like seventeen or eighteen million of that was between three guys. In fact, they only had one Tam player last season. You know, it was Victor Vasquez. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Every single other player fell below the cap. And this is going by what you know, w- what the league you know provides in terms of salary stuff. So maybe there, there maybe there have been a couple of GAM players, but even then, the I don't think so because if you look at the actual salary numbers, it went from like the three megastars to Vasquez, who even then was barely a TAM player, and like the the the, the fifth. Most expensive player was on like a three hundred thousand dollars salary, like they were significantly under the cap. They were a normal team in terms of like salary players. So on paper, yes, twenty two million dollar roster. Oh my god, they're such big spenders and they're such a strong team. No, they. I, I said it last year and they're proving it to me this year. They weren't. It wasn't a sustainably built team because they had to jettison players because they couldn't afford. They couldn't afford to pay them because of different mechanisms. And they had no depth. They lost a lot of that depth. Yeah. The reason why they're struggling this year is because they don't have depth. Because they, they, they basically just threw all their money into these three players who don't even count towards the cap. But God knows how they've spent and how they've built the salaries along the under the cap, you know, players where maybe some some of the contracts were were backloaded, you know, significant increases year to year. They just couldn't handle it, but. We went to Champions League. They went to Champions League. We handled it really, really well. We walked out of Champions League 
on top. Like we were good. We we came out there and we were a good team still. They fell apart. They could, and they've never been able to rebound. Why? Well, because they've had injuries. Yeah, and I think when you talk about injuries affecting the season, you know, I think uh, one of the we, injuries have run rampant. I think in kind of affecting their form this season. Uh, Josie Altidore, of course, being premium amongst them, uh, only 10 MLS appearances from him this year. And uh, Chris Mavinga, who was kind of like this uh, breakout center back for them last year, also struggling with form and yep. uh, injury most of the year. And, you know, I think the proof is kind of in the pudding a little bit that uh, the advanced stats, you know, indicate that they, while they are performing below their expected level, uh, it's not by as great a margin as one might expect. I mean, uh, their goal, expected goal difference per game is 0 0.04, which means they're about scoring as much as they might or they're expected to. The key thing here is, is that that defense has been conceding a lot more goals than they've been expected, but they're still conceding it at quite a disastrous rate. I mean, uh, they're not... 1.96 goals against a game bad but they're still conceding over 1.5 expected goals per game and that really boils down to the fact that there hasn't been that that team has been absolutely ravaged by the lack of cover in that back line and the fact that some of their other guys as well have kind of taken a big step back so they kind of put their eggs in the baskets of expecting those guys to keep up performances. But you look at some of the other performers, like Drew Moore is a year older, and kind of at 34 kind of looks a bit, starting to slow down quite a fair bit, lost his step this year. Mavinga's been injured. Alex Bono has been terrible, to say the least, yeah, there's, this season. Yeah, there, he's, um, that's been a pretty big drop, I think. And of course, uh, without Josie leading the line, uh, a lot of the attacking mantle fell on Sebastian Giovinco to do things. And as expected, you know, he does come into this game as the team goal and expected goal leader with 11 goals and an expected goals count of 13.13, which are pretty decent numbers by any means. Unfortunately for Toronto, he may not be available for this game because he did have to be subbed off uh, in the 40th minute of the Campionis Cup, and it may so. it it's it may have been a slight tweak. I think we'll see him, but if if there was a real tweak there, but it wasn't major, the way this team plays, I would not be surprised if they find a way to kind of maybe expose that injury a little bit. You know, by pressing him a lot, make him run a little bit more than he than he probably has to, roughing him up a little bit maybe, and and. Hey, maybe we see that, you know, whatever injury that was flare up again. Yeah, and, you know, in the, in the, in the case that he does, he is unable to play on Saturday, you know, their, big, their biggest problem is that their next expected goal leader is Jonathan Azorio. There's 6.19. So that's almost half of Giovinco's expected output, in spite of the fact that he has 10 goals in the season, which means he's outperforming his XG by 3.81. So, you know, like he's scored a lot of chances that he wouldn't otherwise have not been expected to put away to kind of boost up his numbers a bit. And that's resulted in um, some games being smidged in TFC's favor. So, you know, I think looking at some of these numbers, you know, uh, if he's not around, if Giovinco's not around to put the ball in the back of the net, like they're, they're, they're kind of in a lot of trouble. Yes. Yeah. They're tertiary, no, sorry. Now that Josie's back, they have another scoring option up front. Yeah. 
but some of their tertiary scoring options aren't quite as consistent as one might think. Yeah, and, and look, the, the, the thing with expected goals, typically, is, or really any of the expected numbers, just because, I mean, look, it's, it's still a math equation that people kind of come up with on their own using different, you know, different data sets, but typically what you see is a regression or progression to the mean. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if 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 you if you're outperforming your expected goal by that much, there's going to be a point in time where you're gonna kind of regress a little bit. Some some players, you know, they they always edge out their expected goals by a certain amount. But Soria doesn't seem like a guy who's just finding those kind of goals so often that you just wouldn't find it on a stat sheet. But they get a goal anyway. Not at least not consistently enough. And it has been happening, but he's just not... To me, he just doesn't seem like the kind of player that, that can consistently do that. So if he, if, his, if he starts you know, regressing to the norm, or to his norm, and Altidore comes and you know, he has another injury, or he just might need some time to kind of you know, warm up since he's kind of coming back from injury, their, their prospects don't look too good. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I pointed out here, you know, uh, the midfield three of Bradley, Azorio, and Delgado is probably still the most potent part of the team, but these guys are good at creating other opportunities for their goal scorers to score. If they don't have that guy up top, as Giovinco has been most of the year, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yes, Josie coming back is a very big part of that offense as it does give them more of a focal point for him to work off of. But, you know, the fact still stands is that, you know, J- Josie has always kind of operated as a guy who's much better when he's paired up top with someone next to him, kind of uh, acting uh, as uh, this sort of uh, roaming, off-the-shoulder sort of striker in comparison to his hold-up play and his ability to bring others into play, you know. So... Uh, if teams could kind of just focus down on Josie a bit more, like I think he's going to be negated a little bit. So, and then on top of that, like uh, we did have some success last year in the playoffs with Tyler Adams being deployed as an advanced destroyer to disrupt their build-up play. You know, I think Michael Bradley was under a lot of duress at BMO in the playoff yeah. game last year because Adams just harassed him. Oh, he was in his pocket for most of the game. Yeah. So. You know, I think, you know, we do have a number of things here that kind of do match up well in our favor. Yeah. And it's kind of the reason why that um, I kind of anticipate, with all things considered, that we should probably win this game. I would be rather disappointed if we don't get anything short of three points. Yeah. Because this is a very winnable game at home. Yeah, I would be extremely disappointed because, look, Toronto is is like we said they're they're, they're underperforming to to a certain degree because of various reasons and and the biggest one being just the, again the complete lack of depth. Um, but they're still a strong enough team where if you sleep on them they're going to get you. You know Josie is still Josie as much as we'd like to talk shit. Bradley is still Bradley as much as we'd like to talk shit. So we're going to need Parker and Long to really step up and make sure that if you know if if. Josie or Geo or both start that they have a good handle on them. Um, I would hope that Adams would be deployed in a similar kind of way last year, just because it worked so well. And if 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 he is, you know, he's going to have to make sure that that he he does his role the right way. And at the same time, we have to make sure that our attackers 
go at their poor back line hard. Yeah. You know, Especially anything like this is the kind of game where if we can dominate the midfield the way we should be able to, there's no excuse why we can't put two two on them. Just again, their 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 defense is just so bad. Yeah. It really their 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 back line is 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 just so mistake prone. They're they're kind of slow. Like this Toronto, funnily enough, is a team that I feel we match up against very well. But they still have a good spine between. You know, between a, a couple of their midfielders, and if they're all healthy and they're all playing, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna test our, it's gonna detest our back line. But our back line is simply significantly better than Toronto's is. Yeah. So, for me, it's gonna come down to this: if if they can get over whatever weird defensive shit that's been going on in the last two days between set pieces and just mental lapses and and DC. If our back line can play at their best, like they have been for 90% of this season, on the defensive side, I don't see us bleeding any goals. I don't. So it's going to come down to the attack. Whatever has been going on for the last five, six, seven games with that disconnect between Gaku and, 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 and you know, Royer and Bradley and just some other elements on the attack, if they can click, I think we see a decisive win. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling, I could see this being a 2-1. I was going to say, this, this is, on. I, I have this bad feeling it's going to be a nagging, scary 2-1 to win. That's going to annoy a lot of people because it's going to be a lot closer than it should be. But I, I feel confident enough that our back line is going to get their shit together for this game, they're they're gonna lock it. We won't. I don't think we're gonna get a clean sheet just because. I mean, look, it's 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 potentially Geo Altador. All I it mean, takes is one free kick, basically. Yeah, yeah, seriously, that's another thing too. Is they got to be very very careful with the free kicks because all it takes is one. All it takes is one. Because we know Giovinco at this point. Yeah. But I, I again I, I feel like our attack is good enough, is dynamic enough, it's fast enough to be able to to put at least two goals. Uh, at least two goals on Toronto. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if if it wasn't for the Montreal and DC game, I would feel a lot more confident. And even though it's only two games and it's really kind of a blip, you know, we, we bled three game three goals in two different games, really for completely different reasons. It's still six goals and two games. You know, if you break down how many goals we've given up in the first fourteen ver- versus the last fourteen of the season. It's really just these two goals, uh, two games that have been a blip. Other than those two games, we've been better defensively under Armas than they were against Jesse. Yeah, we've left, we've let uh, allowed less goals. That's yeah. a significant stat. And I do think, you know, not to ramble and uh, too much, but that to circle back to what we said before, I do think that is because of that that less risky change that he's made. But they have to make sure that that they find a way to hold it down because I I think it's going to come down to that. Yeah, I think definitely a bit of recency bias kind of uh, clouding perceptions of the team, but we do have enough, I think, in our arsenal to get by Toronto at home. Uh, now we'll move on to the questions, and as usual, we'd like to thank everybody for all of the wonderful questions this week. Uh, we are starting off from all the way in Halstead, England, from the place where the sun never sets, or at least it used to once. Luke Hume, <laughs> how are you, buddy? Sending us two questions by email. Um, 
First one reading, it seems like Tyler will be leaving us at the end of the season, as we all expected. However, who do you think should replace him? Promote a player from the USL side, or do we get someone new in? And I think I'm going to go ahead and answer that question uh, pretty quickly. I think we already have the Tyler Adams replacement in the um, organization, and his name is Christian Caceres Jr., and if you're not on the Christian Caceres Jr. hype train, then get the fuck on. Yeah. Because the train is leaving the station soon, <laughs> and uh, you'd be looking very foolish if you're not on it. Yeah. I, you know, he's only had one first-team appearance, and it was against Houston. And what I thought... I think he did a lot of good things that game. But for me, the best part about that game for him was how quickly he grew into the game. Yeah. You could tell in the first like ten minutes or so there were there were jitters. Like, okay, I'm I'm not in USL anymore. Yeah, I'm playing I'm playing in a real, you know, division one side, you know, better competition. Like this is a real game. Not that, you know, RB two is, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And then like at about fifteen minutes to twenty minutes there was just this change in confidence. I mean, he just looked so comfortable. He And to me, that is so important because with a lot of these young guys, in their first game, it's easy to see them in certain moments be frazzled, right? Duncan looked at times a little frazzled in his first game, but he grew into it. Towards the end of, of, of his first game, he started looking you know, pretty comfortable. But Christian didn't need that much time. I mean, it was within maybe 10, 15 minutes tops. It was visible how much more comfortable he was. And that was a close game. We only won one nothing, And this, and they had a couple, not many, but they had a, a couple of decent chances, from what I remember. And he never flinched. He just, I, how comfortable someone can look in a step up like that, to me, speaks volumes. Especially, it was hot as balls, that fucking game. So you can easily be physically exhausted. You're So you're... And look, he, there were, he was stretching, he was cramping up and stuff, and he didn't flinch. He didn't look nervous when he felt that physical moment where like, shit, I might be not out of my league, but like, damn, I'm, I'm kind of starting to fall down. My level's not, my physical level may not be at the level of MLS, but his mental game was, you know? That's amazing because you don't see it that often. So for his first game, he can go in and settle in and be comfortable within, again, 10, 15 minutes tops, and then deal with some of the, the physical and then mental aspects of your first game later in the game as well as he did, that's great. Because comes next year, when what I think he's going to be the starting defensive midfielder, he's going to have a lot of pressure on him from, from, from day one. So if he can adjust that well, that quickly, then I, I have... I have no concerns next year with him taking with with him taking the keys yeah, over Adams. Yeah, and, and on top of that, like I, I I think he's definitely like from what I've seen in from the USL team, like he's a lot more composed on the ball than yeah. Tyler is. He's got the nicer touch. He's got the better passing range because uh, you know he can kind of do it on a quick turn and then send it out. You know, I mm -hmm. think he's kind of a, in my opinion, you know, like a mix of some of the best parts of Sean Davis with some of the best parts of Tyler yeah. Adams. You know, obviously not the physical talent that Tyler is, not really able to cover the amount of ground that Tyler does because no one can. What's interesting but about him though is 
he seems to be very smart about that. Yeah, exactly. Like, right? like he knows. That's how, he, that's how he makes up for it, is that he knows where to be at any given time, and he doesn't kind of need to expend that ridiculous amount of energy to cover every single blade of grass. So. Like, I didn't mean to interrupt, but like, w the best way I can describe it is like, there, there are a lot of games where I watch with, uh, uh, with you know, with he's with Rebel 2, and it's like, wait, when did he get there? Like, yeah. he just pops up places, but you know he's not fast, you know? Um, he's not slow, yeah. but he's not fast, he's not quick, definitely not as fast or as quick as Adams. And for me, that, that just speaks volumes for his positional awareness and his positional uh, um, intelligence to yeah. know where to be at what times, just a step ahead to gain that ground that, that he has to basically make up because he's just physically not as quick or yeah, fast to do that. Yeah, and you don't really see that in an 18-year-old. No. Which is probably the most impressive thing about honestly, this game is that he's only 18 dude, years old. Honestly, you didn't and really start seeing that with even Adams until really like this year. Yeah. Like kind of deepish I, into I agree, this year. yeah. And then on top of that, like I think his influence has been telling enough in one year is that when you look at the way the USL team has performed without him in the lineup, a lot of the guys who were early season breakouts, like Chris Lema and Co, like all of a sudden, like just kind of not really looking up to snuff because yeah. I think it's been pointed out a number of times that the reason why they were able to stand out as much as they did was because they had Caceres next to them and sort of acting as that anchor in midfield. And the lack of that for the USL side now has seen them become like a more porous in the center because they don't have that same presence there. And I think, uh, I think someone on Twitter said that the best way to judge midfielders sometimes is through their absence yeah. and what the team looks like yeah. in their absence. I Looking at how USL, the USL side has looked without him in there kind of tells you everything you need to know about how influential he already is. Look at how he looked without Adams against Montreal. Yeah, that too. Like, this is why, again, you know, I, I, I have to agree there. Like, Adams being out the lineup kind of just kind of was the nail in the coffin of Davis and Rizza knocking, locking down that midfield as the uh, pairing for me. The Piotti goal. I mean, I honestly truly believe Piotti doesn't get that third goal if Adams is there. Because there's a moment where you see Davis trying to, to track him as he makes his run, but he's just physically incapable of doing it. Yeah. And it's not even just, again, about, it's not even just about that physical athleticism to do that. That's just not really his role. He's not... Davis is just not the kind of player that's going to cover the, the amount of ground at, that Adams can. Yeah, no. So he's not used to needing that higher level of positional uh, awareness and prediction almost right. in certain situations. So because of that, because we didn't have Adams there, we didn't have that guy who, was, who knew kind of what was going to happen ahead of time, who was physically able to, to make that run and, and press him and, and, and stop him in his tracks the third goal kind of happened. Yeah, definitely a lot of Sean's game revolves around playing off of Tyler in midfield, I think, and having the uh, smarts to kind of act as a safety valve or as a layoff machine. And I think that's why I think uh, that's kind of the thing going forward is that why I think Casteris would be good is because then he can bring that aspect out of Sean's game as well. And there's Two also very smart players. that recent signing, another... Oh yeah, Jean-Christophe Kofi coming yeah. to us from DC United. Which kind of... It's a bit more in the Adams vein because I think he's a bit more physique, but I mean, I've heard... I mean, I haven't really watched much tape of him either, but he has that same sort of drive through the center of the field, the same sort of uh, physical motor that Tyler does. You know, it's going to be exciting seeing, taking a closer look at him because I kind of need to 
watch his game a little bit more to see his technical attributes and yeah. to see his... Uh, I, I haven't seen enough of yeah. what I have seen, and this might be a weird comparison, but I think if you, if you, if you look at some of his video, he almost looks like a defensive midfield version of Fidel. Mm. And the way that he just, on a dime, pushes so far up, it just, it's hard to explain, but if you watch it, think about some of the, some of the moments with, uh, with, uh, with Fidel when he plays almost more of a sweeper instead of just a pure center back. And I swear, I just, I got weird, like, like, like Fidel vibes when I saw some of his clips. Right. So, so it's sort of like a bit of a positional awareness I mean, I, and a bit I'm, of like that sweep, like that how, sweeping. How tall is he? You know, I think like Kofi was a, he's six feet something. To be honest, that really How ballsy would it be if he is the Parker replacement? I don't know. Well, that'd be something, wouldn't it? If they convert him to a to a center back, like is he, he did long? Wow, I mean, like that. I I, I think this he'd is, probably need this some, is tinfoil hat. That, that'd be so, he'd probably need some Red Bull two seasoning yeah. to do that well. But you know, I think that's why I say like a lot remains to be seen with Kofi, because I'm going to want to see him play minutes yeah. for Red Bull two first. But you know, I mean, if it is a situation where he can do that, you know, I mean, adds a whole new level of the roster flexibility because you can play two positions well. Yeah. You know, that's just going to make a already really deep team even deeper because that's your center back depth and there's your defensive midfielder right there. You know, I think a whole platitude of options. Again, that really could exciting. totally be not a possibility, but it was just, I don't know why, it was something about how he moves and, and some stuff I saw that just, it, he just felt kind of like right. a like a, like a defensive midfield version of Fidel, who, by the way, plays as a defensive midfield for Panama at times. And should be signed, but he's not coming back. Yes, because Because you fuckers hate him for some <laughs> yeah, reason. I to say that because he fucking hates it here. I don't get it, man. Uh, oh, Luke's anyway. second question. If we fall short of the MLS Cup this season, but win the Shield, where does this season rank in all time? Top. Also, is this the best team this franchise has ever had? Yes. Question mark. P.S. <laughs> See you at Red Bull Arena on the 10th, Sorry, Ooh, on the 28th of October, I'm heading stateside. Well, uh, Luke, uh, I won't be there, unfortunately, but the rest of them will. Yep. And I'm sure they'd be happy to uh, yes, host you will, at Red Bull Arena. Yeah, we will definitely do an interview that day. Yeah. Um, well, I think we short, fall short of MLS Cup this season and win the Shield, you know, I mean, by pure benchmarks, that they've equaled... Um, the best ever regular season performance uh, that this franchise has seen. And I think if you look at points totals, like they're currently projected to ha set a new team record. I think if they manage to get back yeah. up to a two-point-per-game pace, um, that, you know, I mean, I probably would say that this, is r if this isn't the best team in franchise history. It's certainly up there. I but in terms of pure talent on paper and the way that they're composed. I sincerely think that this iteration of the team would have played any other iteration of the team yeah. off the field. I like, this is the most well-integrated, top-down, deepest team in the league. Kaku, in my opinion, is one of the best, has already made staking a claim to be one of the most impactful players that this team has probably ever seen. Yeah. And I'm... Don't think that, that I'm saying I'm being unreasonable when I say that, but um, 
we haven't quite had that caliber of a playmaker like Kaku in the past. You know, I think, uh, you know, Sasha was, you know, I mean, Sasha gets a lot of flack from the fan base. I thought he was a pretty decent player, but, you know, he wasn't going to be, he couldn't, he, he simply can't do the things that Kaku does. No, I, I think a lot of Sasha's performance was really, a, was, I think, in large part, a product of the system. Just because he is a clean passer, and if you can have a clean through ball on a strong transition, you know, you're going to get, and he, uh, to someone like Bradley, you're going to get some goals. You're not to mention, you know, he took a lot of set pieces, and there was a time where we were very lethal on set pieces. Yeah. You know, so a lot of those assists came from there. He didn't have a lot of direct assists. He did have a lot of direct assists in 2016. He actually had, uh, it was his 20th assist season. 16 of those were actually direct assists. That was a really good season for him and really for us. Um, but yeah, you're right. He he'd still there's just a, he's fundamentally a different player than Kaku. Yeah. So I think we both have consensus that yeah, it's probably yeah. So my the opinion. Best, yeah. So it, I don't think we're winning the shield. I'm gonna be honest. I, yeah. I don't. That fucking embarrassing garbage that we saw last <laughs> night, which I, I'll rant at the end of this. Um, to me, oh that just God. that cemented it. Shield is done. We're we're, we're not winning the shield. Um, it's very unlikely, and I I don't like being negative like that. But if you look at our uh, schedule and their schedule, I just I I I don't I don't I don't think it's possible. It, it's, well, if it's the wor- well, if the worst team in the league can take them to four goals, <laughs> true. But see, here's the thing, though, and I, I, the, the the thing though is. I think San Jose proved yesterday that they're better and more talented than their record shows, and perhaps it really was just poor, poor managing. I'm not saying they would they would be third or fourth in, in the West, but they would probably be a, a decent mid to three quarters level team. They wouldn't be the worst team in the league. So it's it's possible they're just a, a again a better team than than it seems to be. So we might go into some trouble when we go uh, when, when we play you know against right. San Jose. The thing is, for me, that was like the one goof that, that, that Atlanta could have had during their final stretch. I don't know any other team that they're going against that can really like just shock them into, into a loss. Maybe New England, if they, they start pressing like they did in the beginning of the season, play like they, they did in the beginning of the season, maybe. But all the other teams they play against, they, they, should, they should win. Not, not, right. not saying they're going to win out. But it, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And realistically, we need them to drop a full game and draw. And, and, and these are two games I just can't pinpoint. I can pinpoint a draw. I can see them maybe drawing against like Toronto. I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I don't. Right. Either way, if we, win, if we don't win the MLS Cup and we win the Shield, this is by far the best season in every fathomable level. Because at the very least, we're equaling 2013 and 2015 with a shield, but we're doing it significantly better, uh, stronger, better record, home and away, more wins, less losses. I mean, just it's it would season a single regular season, regular season it would be by far, and we did it while navigating Champions League, including a semifinal run into Champions League. And all you know, and a lot of injuries that we didn't have to deal with yeah. in 2013 or 2015. Yeah, that kind of is the other factor here is four season-ending injuries that kind of really did kind of affect their depth a little bit. I mean, when you have limited roster spots in MLS, and the way that 
MLS is structured, like, a lot of teams will struggle with four season-ending injuries. On a lot of teams will be devastated by four. Look at yeah. Toronto. Yeah, we talked about Toronto. They're, they're, they are not structured. They weren't structured last year. They weren't structured this year to be a deep team. They weren't. They were never tested until this season, and they failed miserably at it. Yeah. It's a reality. Yeah. We have a more complete roster. When you, we, have more, we actually have more expensive guys than they do. Again, you, you remove their, their top three players. There aren't that many mid-level players. We use a lot of allocation money for, for, uh, uh, for, for basic salary cap reasons to, you know, to kind of pay off some of those middle-of-the-road guys. And because of that, we're a deep team. And there's a tangible system that's integrated with USL so we can bring these guys up for depth and, 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 and get results we need it. Which is why, even if we don't win the Shield and we don't win the MLS Cup, if we finish this season with more than 60 points, this is still by far the best team and the best year in team history, yeah. hands down in my opinion. Moving on to the question from our most favorite sponsor at Ripple Arena, the official providers of empanadas at Ripple Arena, Brisas of the beautiful town of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Rumors from anonymous sources have stated that Metro Fan TV was given a behind-the-scenes tour of the Breeze House factory. Can you confirm or deny these allegations? Uh, it's dirty laundry airing hour, and yes, I can confirm that I was given a behind-the-scenes tour of the Breeze House factory after watching Sky Blue FC uh, clinch their first win at the se end of the season at your sack field. Shout out to Juan Carlos, but we went. To <laughs> we did go to Brisas after the game for like a lunch, and uh, we just happened to run into Mr. Brisas himself, and the whole crew was there. You know, like Cameron, David, like the guys you usually see at the stand, like they were there too. And the end, you know, uh, we had a really nice dinner. They gave us a couple of the pan de bono for free, which was fucking amazing, by the way. Uh, I hope if you make it down to Elizabeth and try the pan de bono, it's worth the trip, like no matter where in the world you are. Like it's that good. And then we got the whole uh, behind the scenes tour of the Brisas factory where they make all the empanadas that they send to Red Bull Arena. So uh, yeah, you know, we saw the inside workings of uh, the happiness factory. Yeah, that's kind of... <laughs> that's all I have to say. I'm, I'm sorry, Fernando, but like, uh, you had to go to Sky Blue for that one, man. Yeah, the moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is to support women's soccer, and great things will happen. Yes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Jack D'Alessio from Capital Outcast, and shout out to Capital Outcast for that. A really spirited debut at Audi Field. Uh, really good things you got going down there, guys. I hope uh, you guys grow, and I hope you guys uh, take over that piece of fucking shit town. Turn that shit red, and not Republican red, but New York red. But yeah, uh, odds of us playing DCU in the playoffs. What do you think that series would look like? And I would say that you know I'd put our chances of facing DCU in the semifinals, because I'm presuming that we're going in as the second seed right now, and DC are most likely looking at a sixth seed place. So if DC manages to uh, knock off. Uh, I think NYCFC in that knockout round, if they qualify as a succeed, which I think they could totally do, that probably means that they go in to face Atlanta in a two-legged series. Uh, which means that if, I don't know, I mean, they have been Atlanta's bogey team. And uh, How fucking hilarious will it be if DC knocks out Atlanta? That'd be pretty funny. 
I want that to happen. That, like, that, that would be pretty happen. funny. That would be pretty funny. I'd be down for that. Uh, <laughs> but then, of course, it means we'd have to, if we do advance, we beat DC in a two-legged series in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals, so a knock and wood, which means we're hosting MLS Cup. But, uh, so I think the possibility of us facing DC, like, barring some catastrophic slide in the performance, which I don't think is happening because NYCFC have been garbage down the stretch run, uh, we could very well see DC in the Eastern Conference Finals, which um, would entail us also knocking off one of either Columbus or Philadelphia, both of which are not good matchups for us. Okay, so... Yeah, they're, they're two teams that, even though they're just simply not as good as us, they just they just always have our number. Yeah, they've. I mean, Burhalter is the best coach in MLS, and Jim Curtin just loves being the boogeyman. So, we don't really know how that's going to go down either. So, um, I don't think the odds of us facing DC are as high as we might think. I'd probably put them at about maybe thirty three percent right about now, point three three recurring, but. <laughs> I think that series, you know, I, I think the way that the East is shaken out, like, those teams 3-6 to six are not easy outs, like, at all. There's no team that you can look at, I think, this year in the Eastern Conference that isn't pl in the playoff contention and say, oh, they should be an easy W. Like, there was, like, say, last year or in 2016 when we thought that knocking off Montreal was going to be a sure thing. You know, there are no teams... I think like that in a playoff mix this year because, yeah. you know, there are legitimately good sides or average sides that just match up well against us, you know. So I think a series against DC in the playoffs would be, a fuck. Oh, it's gonna be a fucking bloodbath, you know. I can see us having. There's a gonna lot be of some surprises, and I hope that it's, that doesn't involve us. Yeah, I mean, I don't see. I don't think a series against DC is going to be as easy as we might like because you know we've been we spent 40 minutes of this episode on that. Yeah. This is a good team now. Yeah. This I is a team that, based on recent form, would be the third best in the East. So, you know, I mean, we've navigated them well. We're done pretty well to be undefeated against them, but it's gonna be even tougher in the playoffs. You know, I think uh, you know I think for the is. reasons that we. Stated earlier in the episode that, you know, a series against DC is not going to be easy. It's going to be an absolute fight to the death, I imagine, for the right to play, any, and, I think, in MLS and, Cup and it's and it's, and it's not going to be, you know, the 2015 series in a, in a, where we won both games, won nothing, but it was just this garbage, sloppy Benny ball. They're a good team now. Like, they play... Yeah, they can play. They play well. Like, yeah. they're they're... If it's a tight game, it's not going to be because it's a, a sloppy mess. Benny Ball may very well be dead, which is kind of depressing. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a, a, a properly, you know, played soccer match, and it's going to be tough. Which means we can finally say Olsen out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Properly played soccer matches, but I anticipate, like, both teams actually trying to make something out of it. So, yeah. Sorry, Jack, I don't really... Uh, I don't see a lot of, uh, I don't see an easy win at all. It's kind of what it boils down to. Closing out the uh, mailbag is a question from Edward Ritter. I have asked this of Edward Ritter on Twitter. Oh, I see that. Hey. <laughs> uh, I have asked this of every RVNY pod. Can you defend? Our back line seems to have forgotten. 
I played goalkeeper in high school, so I guess uh, I can only play defense. Uh, but they don't really seem to need a goalkeeper right now. And on top of that, you know, our backline just going through a little blip. I have confidence that they'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm. I'm a. Oh, I forgot how old I am. I am thirty. Yeah, I'm a thirty-three year old. Uh, well, you're with, Colin's age. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's weird. Fuck. Yeah, I'm a thirty-three-year-old with two knee surgeries, so I'm sure I'll fit somewhere in MLS, just not, not with the Rebels. You could play for Orlando. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow, <laughs> I'm gonna try out for them next year. Remember when people were like Maybe a Tam player? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think you'd be like a DP for Orlando. Like they look at your resume and be like, "Oh my God." He, he actually has functioning knees, <laughs> and he can vaguely run, I guess. Like <laughs> then, then again, I always have persistent hamstring injuries, so maybe there is kind of a blow Oh, so there. you'd be perfect for Orlando. Yeah. Yeah, this is... <laughs> I think I found my new career shift. <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, I think the back line will be fine. Uh, I think that kind of does it for us here on MetroFan TV's uh, Weekly Rundown once again. I'd like to thank everybody for sending in questions as usual. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed uh, our shift to audio. We have re-pivoted away from video, which uh, runs contrary to industry um, insights. But you know what? <laughs> Fuck the industry. Am I right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, j just for, for, you know, for, I guess, transparency. I don't know if that's the right word to use. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. You know, a lot of people have, have asked if, if we would ever put this in a podcast form. Uh, you know, a lot of our videos sometimes can run along like this audio has for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot easier to consume through audio than having your phone on for an hour and a half straight or whatnot. So, yeah, it just seems like a like an easier format to, to move on to. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll the weekly rundowns will be in podcast form. We'll sort out a schedule so you guys can kind of expect a, release, a steady release every week. Um, some of the video stuff and the tactical videos that we've kind of squeezed in there. Uh, we're still going to do We're just going to kind of separate that from the weekly rundowns and just kind of throw them out yeah. there. We're going to be know, expanding in between that games and our, stuff, uh, so. to its own series. Yeah, so uh, I mean, more he, video technical analysis coming your way soon. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, look, even though Lenz is, you know, physically leaving uh, the wonderful state of New Jersey, uh, he will still be very much involved. And we have a lot of new stuff that we have planned that we'll probably just have to kind of speed up and, and start sooner than later. But... Yeah, uh, the, the the channel's definitely gonna see a, a, a pretty pretty nice um, uh, change soon. Yeah. So. And uh, as you always know, thanks to the wonders of the internet, I may be gone physically, <laughs> but I'm still around, in an online, and I'm always online anyway. Always online, always engaged. Metro Fan TV saying good night, and we'll see you Saturday at Ripple Arena. <laughs>